God has a design for your life. We're going to talk about that today. Second Chronicles chapter 13, beginning at verse 4. And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemarim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. There are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam the son of Solomon. When Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted, could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord and the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude, and there are with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made you for gods. Verse 9 is my text. Have you not cast out the priest of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, and have made you priest after the manner of the nations of other lands? So that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. They burn unto the Lord every morning, and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also set they in order upon the pure table, the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. Behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets. Would you say sounding trumpets? To cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers for ye shall not prosper. The Lord will help me today. I'm going to talk about the prevailing sin of this generation. Prevailing sin of this generation. Shall we pray? Lord, we ask you to put your hand of anointing on this meeting. Touch our minds. Touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, let the Holy Ghost anointing come. Your people, God, heaven or hell we got one chance to make it put it in our hearts God hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Jesus glory to God glory to God God bless you you may be seated different ages in time are characterized we refer to them by a caption or a phrase that caption or that phrase identifies the age that we're referring to 
for example, there is a time in history, and if you studied this in school, you will remember that they referred to this time as the Renaissance. The Renaissance was a time when arts, culture, and literature began to become very prominent, underwent massive change, and during the 14th, the 15th, and the 16th century came alive. So things that are painted in that era are referred to as paintings of the Renaissance. Do you understand the term Renaissance depicts an age or a segment of time? There are also words that denote religious time periods. The world refers to a time period that we call the Reformation. The Reformation was religious so-called because in the 16th century it was the reforming of the Catholic Church and it was the coming out of different groups such as Martin Luther and his uh, propagation of his beliefs, the just shall live by faith, 95 Theses on the Door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany, etc. And this resulted in what we now know as the Protestant Church era. But that time segment, that period of time in the 16th century, if you want to refer to that instead of going into a long explanation, you simply say the Reformation. And everybody got the understanding. Okay, I know what he's talking about. There were time periods in political change known as the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages was the time period between ancient history and modern history. It was a time that they call the Dark Ages because of ignorance and disease. This was when medical science did not have knowledge. And bubonic plague, smallpox ran rampant and was terrible, terrible uh, things in society. We refer to different ages such as the Iron Age, the Bronze Age. Now we live in what they call the Space Age. In the Bible, there were also periods of time. There were segments that we're going to just mention briefly here, just because I want you to understand that there was always a characteristic of their day there was always one single element that kind of stood out and when you look at their age you think that was the characteristic of their age that was the one element that reminds me of their of their time when you think of the days of Noah if you really give it consideration in the Bible really the one overriding thing about the days of Noah was not their culture was not their literature or their education or lack of it when I think of the days of Noah, I think of them being as licentious. I think of them referred to in the scripture as those that did only evil continually. It was in their heart to do evil continually. When I think of the days of Abraham, I think that the world of his day, basically God in retrospect and hindsight would think of Abraham's day as the days of the homosexuality. Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment that came in the days of Abraham. When you think in the Bible under the era that I just read a passive little statement on it concerns Jeroboam and the kingship of Israel it is the era of the golden calf Jeroboam I won't have time to deviate into that but if you're familiar with Bible history and chronology you'll be aware of the fact that Jeroboam in his attempt to revive the northern tribes the ten that had separated and divided off from the two southern tribes of Judah he set up in their borders in Dan and Beersheba two golden calves and brought again idolatry and the prophet that I read to you today was railing out against that he was coming out and lifting his voice against that sin of idolatry and, ad and admonishing them turn back to us and I'll refer to this in just a moment in the Bible if you've read in the book of Revelation you know that God kind of depicted each era 
each little segment of church age whether you consider it an age or whether you consider it a church I happen to think it was just a church but when he looked at Ephesus God looked at Ephesus and he had something to say he said Ephesus you've left your first love when he looked at Pergamos he said Pergamos I want to tell you something you have in your midst the doctrine of Balaam when he looked at Thyatira he said I want to tell you something Thyatira the thing that I've got against you is that you suffer that false prophetess Jezebel to teach in your midst when he looked at Sardis he said Sardis let me tell you something I've got this to say your works are not perfect before God when he looked at Laodicea again God encapsulated his little definition of Laodicea and said I want to tell you something you're lukewarm so do you understand that every time period there's something that we could look at and say what is prevalent about that segment of time and here we stand on the brink of the coming of the Lord we stand on the the hour that all churches of course have culminated in this day we stand at the time that the Lord could come back and what is our consensus what is God looking down at this age and recently I was praying and trying to find the mind of God and this was so disturbing because it seemed like so many times I would listen to preachers talk and so many things would come into church and it seemed like it always came back to the same thing like pouring water in a funnel it all eventually poured out the bottom of the little cylinder on the on the bottom of the funnel it seemed like always it came back to the same principle now we could talk about all of the many sins of our day that's not my purpose today it's true that homosexuality is rampant in our world it's true that wickedness is rampant in our world and what we have is the culmination of all the societies that have ever gone and come and gone before us sure we have the tendencies of Rome the decadent society that they had certainly we have that which Babel had men trying to build their own salvation to God yes we are an accumulation of all the ages we are everything that's ever gone before and more and men are becoming more pronounced at it but we above any other generation I want to preach about it today is we have come to the place that our besetting sin is not going to be Babel it will not be the things that we have already looked at and characterized in other ages and said that will not affect me but the prevailing sin of this generation that the church must beware of is that we are living in the day that people are becoming their own priest and that's what I want to preach about today when people become their own priest in this passage of scripture second Chronicles 13 when this old prophet began to cry out against the sin that they were involved in begin to tell them that you've done wrong you have set golden calves up in Dan and Beersheba and the people are following after that that's wrong but the indictment that was brought against them he said but I'm gonna tell you something you have cast out the priest of the Lord the sons of Aaron you have not turned to God called preachers you've taken that which God said would be so and you've cast that aside and then he made a statement he said so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with the bullock and seven rams the same may be a priest the same may be a priest he doesn't have to have the red blood of Aaron flowing in his veins 
He doesn't have to have a heritage of, of godliness that has been passed on from generation to generation with a long bloodline going back to a certain fountain where it all came from. He does not have to have the name. He does not have to have the parentage. He does not have to have the history nor the knowledge. If he just in himself said, hey, I believe I'd like to be a priest. And so he got a ram or seven little lambs and he would take them up and offer them and proclaim himself a priest. And he did not fall under the auspices of a God called preacher. Our generation is not going to be affronted by that which we can read in the Bible and dismiss offhandedly. We're not going to be encumbered by the things that we can readily point out and put our finger on the scripture and say, This got son, this got Gomorrah, and this got Abraham's day. This was the problem in Adam's day. This was the problem in all the other time periods of the Bible. Do you understand that we will be confronted by the accumulation of all of that? But more importantly than anything else, we will look at it today when people become their own priest and they look at a preacher and say I've got a word from God I don't need what you have to say and what you just told me I know what you told me but I'm going to go home and pray about it and see if I feel like what you're telling me is the right thing to do I want you to know when we reach that period of time we are like the man that took his ram and proclaims himself a priest and says I have a call of God I'll set my counsel against yours so I want to preach about that today when you become your own priest. And to deviate from this, we get into all kinds of stuff. It's the tributaries that flow. But do you understand that this is the root of our day? This is the root when people can sit in apostolic churches and forget what an apostolic ministry is all about. And they are not afraid to lift their voice against a man of God. And they are not afraid to voice that opinion to other people in the congregation. And what they're really saying, unknowingly, is I am a priest. I know how to pray. I know how to offer a sacrifice. After all, haven't I had the Holy Ghost for a number of years? After all, haven't I talked to God? Don't I know what the Lord has to say? God has always had a priesthood. Let me read you a few scriptures. The priesthood is as old as the Bible itself. If you read the 14th chapter of the book of Genesis, you will read the story how Abraham went to battle against the accumulated powers of the five nations that he stood against when he delivered Sodom out of the hands of those wicked kings. And you'll read the story about how when he came back, the Bible says there met him a priest by the name of Melchizedek. It's not important at this point to, for me to talk about Melchizedek. The only thing that's important is you understand that from Genesis chapter 14, God had a priest. God had a man that he talked to. God had a man that came back in victory or in defeat and was always there. And so the priesthood was established early in the Bible. In the priesthood, God did not allow the priesthood to operate under their own direction. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 2, 3, and 4, you can read where God dictated the garments that they wore. He said they are to wear linen garments. They are to wear this on their breastplate. They are. He was very meticulous with what the priesthood had to wear. You can read in Leviticus chapter 10, verse number 1 and verse number 2. 
The first time that a man decided that he would impose his own will into the priesthood. And those two wicked sons of, of that old godly man offered up strange fire unto God. And the Bible says that God slew them because they offered up strange fire unto God. Do you understand that there has always been a priesthood and that God is extremely protective of the priesthood? He does not allow you to come into the priesthood unless you have a rich red heritage in your veins. He does not allow just any Tom, Dick, or Harry that feels like he's got something to say to step behind the pulpit and stand behind him and say that's my man but I want you to know on the other hand that you cannot discount the fact that God said he has given apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers for the perfecting of the saint for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ and I'm going to tell you today until Jesus Christ comes there will be an apostolic ministry in the earth hallelujah that doesn't mean that a preacher is better than you. The doctrine of the Nicolaites in Revelation chapter 2 verse 15 was strongly condemned by God. That's why we're opposed to the Catholicism of our day when they wear different clothes and set themselves up as some kind of demagogue in the, in the sanctuary of what's supposed to be God's church. No, sir. We dress like you do. We act like you do. We're on an even par with you. But we do understand that the Bible teaches in the book of 1 Timothy, our elder that teaches well and word of doctrine is counted worthy of double honor. It's not a double standard. It's simply a call of God. It's a man that has the touch of the Lord on his life. It's a man that God has singled out and set aside and said, I will use him for the purpose of my work in the earth second chronicles chapter 26 if you'll turn with me i'd like to read a short instance in the bible to give you insight into the spirit that i'm talking about that seems to be very rampant in our age speaking of uzziah and his sin in second chronicles 26 and verse number 16 but when he was strong his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. There's nothing wrong with the preacher being known as a fighter. There's nothing wrong with the preacher being known as one that can carry himself well against an adversary. These men had distinguished themselves as priests that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, O Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth. And had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence, yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the land of Israel. This man just decided that he wanted to be a priest for an afternoon. Not long. We don't read any... In, there's nothing to indicate that the man wanted to be a priest for the rest of his life. He was a king. 
He had a king's duties and the discharges that were his responsibility. As far as I can discern from the scripture, he just got this wild idea that, hey, I think I'd like to burn a little incense. And so he went into the temple and he got a little incense. And he did not understand the severity of his trespass. But the priest came to him with 80 more just like him and they withstood him and said, let me tell you something, you're doing wrong. And though he was king, it did not mitigate the, the circumstances. It did not make any difference because there was not in his veins the blood of the Aaronic priesthood. There was not the Levitical blood flowing in his veins and he did not qualify to be a priest. Let me tell you something. To be a preacher, it does not have to do with intellect. It does not have to do with speaking ability. It does not have to do with your education or your background. It's got to do with what God puts on the inside of you. If God calls you, you can be a God-called preacher if you only went to the third grade. I'm telling you, it does not qualify you just because you are well-spoken or well-educated. This man, though he was king, he went in and he began to offer his little sacrifice and his little incense. They withstood him and he got mad. He got angry. And God smote him with leprosy. Now, you may differ with what I'm fixing to tell you, but it don't make any difference because it's so. When your pastor deals with you and your preacher talks to you and he says, you're wrong, you need to straighten your act up. And you get a bad spirit and you get mad and you go home and run your jaws and talk to your wife or your husband or your kids or other saints in the church. I'm telling you, as far as God's concerned, spiritual leprosy strikes you right in the forehead. And you may think that you're good enough. But let me tell you, you know what you're doing? You're walking into the office of the priesthood that God never called you into. When you make that fatal mistake, what you're doing is you're entering a place that God never called you to enter into. You're picking up a censer that God never called you to burn. You're fixing to do something and you're offering. Let me tell you something. God is protective of his priesthood. Not everybody was a priest. Not everybody. It wasn't necessarily a privilege. They were denied things that other people had. They had no inheritance. They had to depend on the, on the goodness of other people. Nothing is harder on a preacher than to have to preach to people and know that when he preaches that they may leave him. But he's got to preach it. They are his inheritance. He has no other inheritance except those that sit on the pew. But hear me today. Don't walk into that office and dare to offer censors and offerings before God if God has not called you to that office. Let me give you a few more scriptures before I really go on and say what I want to say. In Judges chapter 17... There's another instance of this. We are seeing this prevalent in our day. We are seeing men enter the ministry that no more have a call of God on their life than Peter Pan did. And they are wrecking spiritual havoc in our midst. They have no spiritual discernment. When an issue comes to light that we must make a fatal decision that will involve people's lives and their spiritual destinies, whether they will burn in hell forever, these spiritual idiots rise up among us and say, well, I don't think it hurts anything. I don't see anything against it. And precious souls are lost in the balance. I'm telling you, we've got to have a godly priesthood. We've got to have an apostolic ministry that has the Holy Ghost direction in their life. There are men that say, well, I'll just try it. If it don't work, I'll back off. David tried it when he decided to use a new cart to bring home the ark of God. And yes, he did get back on track. Yes, he did realize his mistake. 
but there was a grave marker on the hillside where a man was caught in the interim and a man was caught in the balance when he reached out his hand to stay the ark because it troubled and it trembled on that old ark and it was about to fall and Uzzah, Uzzah just reached out and touched it. Yeah, David, you finally got your act together as a man of God. But let me tell you something before it was over. They inscribed a tombstone and planted it in the earth somewhere and a man lost his soul because of your decision. We need God called preachers. We need apostolic ministry. And don't you ever intrude into that office. The age that we're living in, people are intruding into that office. We have reached the place where people are so educated and they have the ability to reason things out in their mind that when Brother Parker teaches them and he talks to them about things in their life, immoral lifestyles, promiscuity, or the unseen dangers of things that they don't understand, they will rise up in their self. They may not say anything on the outside. Their face may be as blank as a whitened sheet, but inside they're thinking, I don't know if he knows the mind of God or not. I don't know if he really knows what I should be doing or not. And in their mind, what they do is they pick up a censer and they light it before God because they step into the office of the priesthood and God said you cannot enter into that office. I can't think of anything more distressing than seeing a person begin to drift. And sometimes it's intangible things. Sometimes you can't tell them, hey, this is your sin. You just know that everything's not right. Something's not right. And you sit them down and you begin to talk to them. And they look at you like, don't worry about me. I got it all together. No, you don't understand. Your priest needs to talk to you. He is the one to offer your sacrifice to God. He's the one to pray for you. He's the one to bring the word of God unto you. When you decide you don't need him, when you decide you step like Uzziah did, pick up an incense censer and begin to burn it before God. Recently I had a particular thing in our church I was greatly troubled about, and I wanted to handle it right. I trust I wasn't just a coward, but this is what I did. I, I studied that out, and I prayed about it, fasted about it, and I, and I wanted to be so correct in my spirit. And I shouldn't have to worry about that stuff, but I just felt checked and I want to do it right. I put it on my desk. And I laid that message on my desk, on the corner of my desk. And I said, I'm leaving it there. I'm looking at it. I'm praying over it. I'm studying it again and again. And when I preach it, I want it to be right. It laid on my desk for six weeks. I studied it time and time and time again. I studied it and restudied it. I made sure that I knew where I was. I will never forget the Sunday morning that I stood in the pulpit and preached that message. Now you understand that I didn't preach it off the cuff. I didn't get up and make a bunch of dumb statements that were, that were not thought out. I studied it, friend. I checked it. I cross-referenced it. I checked it in the Holy Ghost. And I preached from the burden of my heart. And I had a woman there that morning that has bounced around in churches for years. She, she uh, always wanted to fuss and fight and quarrel. And I preached, man, I wept in that message. I preached my stomach was in knots and I was preaching what I felt was the will of God. And when I got through, that woman stood to her feet and slammed her Bible shut and loud so everyone could hear it. She said, that's not what that scripture says. And she turned around to people around her and began to talk it. I didn't hear her. I went back and shook the devil out of her right then. But anyway, I didn't hear And so word filtered back to me so I got another message ready <laughs> and I laid it over for a few weeks you know I begin to after now that I look back on I think those message fermented or something 
Because I was like a drunken man when I preached it. I promise you, I was wild. I was to the point that it didn't make any difference. It had worked its way into my heart, my soul, and my system. It didn't make me any difference. And this is what I said. God knows I don't preach like this a lot. I don't enjoy preaching like this. But I stood that morning and I looked right down at her. And I pointed my finger. And I said, since when do you have the knowledge to stand against me? Since when has God called you to decide whether I know what a scripture says or not? Since when has God given you the ability to decide what the word of God has to say? And I walked the aisles and I pointed my finger. And I said, I just want you to know that I'm the preacher in this church. And you may never accept it, but it's that way. It's so God says that's the way it is it's not coincidental I believe scripturally that when she stood that day and said that the leprosy smote her I don't think it's coincidental that she bounced around and hung around churches for years but just a few weeks later she called me up crying and weeping and she said I just cannot go on I don't know what's wrong with me I don't feel like I can come to church anymore I said thank you for calling we'll see you around I didn't ask her to stay I didn't ask her if she wanted to think about it I didn't ask her to pray through I said fine and dandy everything's all right you just go your merry way I'm telling you God withdrew his spirit from her I'm telling you not because I'm Kenneth Bow, but because I am a part of a ministry that God has called to be in the church when she dared to stand and lift her voice against the preacher it wasn't who I am but it's what I am it's not who I am but it's who's behind me that she lifted her voice and I believe that almighty God reached in and pulled his spirit from her and cut her mind loose and set her adrift on the sea of eternity I believe it. In Judges chapter 17. There was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. He said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursed. Sound like a real spiritual family, doesn't it? And spake in mine ears, Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. His mother said, Blessed be thou the Lord, my son. You know that money got stole, Mom? She was cussing about the other day. Yeah, I stole it, Mom. She said, oh, bless you, Lord, bless you. Real spiritual family. When he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. <laughs> oh, they're just so spiritual. It's just dripping off of them. Uh, you know, those are the kind I worry about sometimes in our church. They're so spiritual. Oh, I had a dream about you the other day, Brother Bill. <laughs> oh, I had a vision about you the other day. Is that right? Well, you haven't paid your tithes for two months. Oh, I know, but oh, but, oh God's been dealing with me. You make a monkey out of God sometimes. She said, I'd wholly dedicated this unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image in a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a house of gods, and made an ephod, and teraphim, and consecrated one of his sons, who became his priest. Who became his priest. I want a preacher that I can tell him what to do. I want a preacher that will never ruffle my feathers. I want a preacher that will never come down the line and make me feel bad. Then you'll have to get your own because God don't distribute those kind. God just don't call those kind. 
And if he's not ruffling your feathers every now and then, and he's not preaching something that digs sin out of your life and your heart and makes you feel guilty, you can mark it down. Something isn't right in God's world. It is the job and the purpose of the ministry. Many people are doing exactly this today. They need something, and so they just set their little gods in their houses, and they just make them a priest. Make them a little preacher somewhere. In the book of 1 Samuel, and I'm going to try and tie these together a little bit later. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage of Scripture. But it is so depicting of what I really want to say. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Verse 5, the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. They came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Bethlehem. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and thickets and in rocks and high places and pits. Some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, and as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Let me tell you when you need to stand behind your preacher the most is when things are rough. When it looks like somebody's going to quit church and somebody's going to backslide, that's the time for you to just square your shoulders and just pass them in the aisle and say, Brother so-and-so, I'm going to be here when the crows come home to roost. Just want to let you know and walk on by. They reached the place that the whole thing looked like it was rocking, trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. Now he and the preacher had this little agreement. The preacher told him, said, I'll be there in seven days to offer a sacrifice for this battle. But you know what? Saul got the idea that the preacher wasn't going to make it on time. And Saul had this little feeling like the preacher wasn't taking care of his business. And it wasn't going the way Saul thought it ought to go. So he thought he'd just help him out a little bit. God knows I've got some in my church that love to offer sacrifices. They love to tell me how Sister So-and-So really needs to run her life. They love to come to me and say, you know what, I know that you probably already know this, but I just thought I'd let you know that, do you know what Sister So-and-So's been doing? And sometimes I act so wise and prudent, I say, really? What do you think I ought to do? Oh, that's what they've been waiting for. And they just unload it. Boy, this is what you... And you know what? While I'm listening, I say, thank God, I'm going to do exactly the opposite, exactly what you tell Just because I, they're not going to tell me what to do. They're not going to tell me how to run this church. Anyway. He got, I tell that really impressed you, so I'll go on. Saul. Saul looked around and the preacher didn't get there on time. The preacher wasn't handling it the way it ought to be handled. He wasn't building that building the way it ought to be built. He wasn't pouring the concrete. He picked out the wrong color carpet. He didn't handle my kids right in their last little fuss. When they got into it, Brother So-and-So's kids, and he took their side, and my kids was right, and they didn't like the way it was handling. And so he just decided that he'd offer the sacrifice. After all, the preacher wasn't here. Somebody came to me the other day, and they had done something really stupid. I mean, they really bombed. It was bad. And they came to me, and they said, Well, I didn't have any choice. You wasn't here. You was out of town, and I tried to call you. And I looked at him, I said, you know that don't carry any weight. You know good and well you knew you was wrong when you started that business. Don't sing me this song about, well, you was out of town, so I made a decision, just did the best I could. Oh, no, don't give me that business. You know what's right. Saul looked, and he said, well, Samuel, you didn't get here. And so 
The Bible said in verse 10, it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. And thou camest not within the days appointed. And that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication of the Lord. I forced myself and offered a burnt offering. To make a judgment from the Word of God. You ought to thank God that you are where you are. Leave the priesthood alone. Don't step into that office. God did not call you to that place. You endanger your soul every time that you do. And I do believe strongly that it is the prevailing sin of my generation that men and women are becoming their own priests. Recently I was talking to a preacher, one of the most conservative preachers in America. I'm telling you, runs a good church, large church, fine preacher, good man. We were talking on the phone one day. I was about oh, thousands of miles away from him and I was talking. And just out of the clear blue, he said, what are you going to preach tonight? And I told him I was going to be preaching on this subject, becoming your own priest. And he said, that is exactly what I need in my church right now. He said, I've got an old cornerstone family that got crossed up with me over my school. And he said, and you know what? They just showed an ugly spirit and they've been talking it among the church. And he said, I'm going to have to get in the pulpit and preach it. You know what? It is the sin today. Those people are not going to go out and shoot marijuana or heroin in their veins. They're not going to smoke marijuana or take cocaine. They're not going to smoke cigarettes. We buried those things years ago down the road. They're not going to drink alcohol. They're not going to live immoral. You know what they're going to do? The devil's going to put it in their heart to say, just a minute, I've been living for God for 16 years and this time the preacher's wrong. This time he has made a wrong judgment. You better fear in your tracks when you get that spirit come on you. You better deny that spirit. You better say, God, don't ever let me become my own priest. Don't ever let me reach the place that I judge the preacher. If a sacrifice needs to be offered, he'll be there to offer that sacrifice. If a sacrifice needs to be offered, he'll be on time with his offering of his sacrifice. You don't need to take it into your own hands and say, I had to help you out, preacher. When God loved you, he gave you his most precious commodity. He didn't send you some wimp. Now, I couldn't preach this everywhere. Some of them are wimps. The men here are men that love God, that will preach to you. He's been on this platform. If you get to messing around, if you don't think they got the vim and vinegar and fire, try them out. I promise you they'll twist your ears. I promise you. I was raised in IH's school. So was old brother Parker. One time I come to church and boy, I needed a haircut. And I wasn't trying to go my hair long. I was working six days a week, long hours. And I thought, man, do I sit on the platform or do I not? If I sit on the platform, he's liable to get me. If I don't sit on the platform, he'll ask me why I didn't sit on the platform. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to sit on the platform. And I said, oh God, I am going to get a haircut. Please, God, just let me, just let me get the barbershop. I was sitting on the platform. Oh, Brother Terry got to preaching. And I mean, he just, it, it didn't even go with his message. It was just like he jerked it out of the air. I was sitting there and boy, I was engrossed in his message. He's preaching about something else too. He stood me up. He said, come here. I stood up. I stood up and he just, he didn't ask me. He just spun me around and jerked my shoulder and spun me around like that. He grabbed me by the hair of the head and he grabbed a handful like that on the back of my neck and he went to yanking it like that. 
And he told the saints, he said, you see this? We're not having this in this church. He said, this is too long. He said, you go get a haircut. And I was going, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I'm telling you, that happened. You may not believe that. But if you don't think IH is capable of that, you just don't know him very well. And I promise you, I got a haircut and I found time to get a haircut. I'd get a haircut before I went to work. I'd get a haircut on my lunch hour. I made time to get a haircut. But I thank God for a man that would watch for my soul. I thank God for a man that would tell me when I was wrong. Sir, but there is a spirit, and I believe that one of these days with hindsight, we will look back on this era of time, and we will say, you know, in those days, they were licentious, evil continually. Man, in Abraham's day, homosexuality was the calling card of the day. We can look back on Jeroboam's day and say, yep, the golden calves is what got them in those days, and they're going to look back on this generation. And say that was the day that people became their own priest. That was the day that they were as smart as the preacher. That was the day that they didn't listen to his counsel. And when he got off his knees and wiped the tears out of his eyes. And gave them counsel on how to save their marriage. They went away and didn't think he knew what he was talking about. Prevailing sin of this generation will be when people become their own priest. When God loved you he gave you his most precious commodity. He didn't give you money. He didn't give you wealth. He didn't give you fame. He gave you a preacher. It has been the story of the Bible from day number one. God loved people. He gave them a man. When God loved Israel in Egypt, He sent them Moses. When He loved them in their sin, He sent them Gideon. And He sent them other prophets. And He sent them preachers. It finally culminated when God came to earth Himself and became a man. God so loved the world that He gave. What did He give? He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. When God loved you, He gave a man. But that's not the end of the story. Jeremiah 3.15, God said, I will give you pastors according to mine own heart he's still giving men today he's still calling men to preach and they are of the ironic priesthood spiritually they are men that have the red blood of the calling of God in their veins they are not hirelings they are not there because you pay them they are there because God put it in their heart to preach you the word of God and to stand for truth and righteousness and don't you ever stand against them don't you ever wag your tongue against his decisions don't you ever look at him and say I don't think he knows what he's doing this time well, you join Micah and Uzziah when they pick up their censer and become their own priest. You join Saul when he offers his little sacrifice unto God. I'm going to be going to Genesis chapter 27. I was preaching a revival in Oakdale, California several years ago. And in that revival, there had been a woman that came and sat on the back seat in our meeting. Very cold, very hard, no, no touch at all. And I asked the pastor very early in the revival, I said, who is that woman back there? He said, she's a backslider. He said, she comes and laughs and mocks. said, we haven't been able to touch her. I tried so hard in that revival. I really dug and preached and prayed and asked God to touch her. I will never forget the last night of the revival. Many revivals come and went, but this night lives in my memory. I remember, I looked back and she was sitting back there so detached, cool. Boy, I preached about hell that night. And I preached about judgment, coming of the Lord. I thought, God, how can she sit there like that? When there's a burning flame in hell, a lake of fire that's going to pitch and roll and scream and beg for mercy. How can she just sit there? 
She never moved a muscle. I had them stand. She just sat there with a smirk on her face. I remember I was so broken. I turned and, and knelt to pray. I tried for so long, so many weeks to try to reach her. She would not come. I remember I was praying. I was weeping. And I said, God, why won't that woman come? And I don't say very often in my ministry that God spoke to me. But he did that night. God spoke to me that night. And he said this to me. He said, that woman would be in hell tonight but for, and he called the preacher's name. And it was so real and so vivid. I opened my eyes and I looked over at that preacher. And I kid you not, he was on his knees before God. He was crumpled like a ball in the floor. Tears were rolling down his face. He was red and he was weeping, snot running out of his nose, tears running. He didn't care and he was travailing. God, don't let her be lost. You know what God let me know? The only thing keeping her from hell was a preacher. The only reason God hadn't kicked her into eternity and said, Go on down there and smirk a while, was there was a man that was begging and supplicating and travailing before God. Said, and let me tell you something, next time you want to open your mouth against your preacher, you need to remember that he's the one that's laid on his face before God and ask God to spoil your soul. He's the one that's prayed. He's the one that's fasted. He's the one that's loved. He's the one that's given. He's the one that's cared for you. Don't you ever forget that when God loved you, He gave you a preacher. God wanted you to know how much He loved you. Hallelujah. In Genesis chapter 27, 18, verse 18. The old story of Isaac and his two boys. He came to his father and he said, My father, he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? Jacob said, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou obeyedest me. Arise, I pray thee. Sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. Isaac said unto his son, How is it thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Ah, the, the Lord brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. I don't know what all God meant when he put that in the Bible. Well, let me tell you what it speaks to me today. There are multitudes of people that go by what they feel instead of what they hear. And they walk into loose churches. I don't care if it does have United Pentecost Church on the door. I don't care if it does have Truth Tabernacle. I don't care if it does have First Church of Jesus now. I don't care what they got on the door. But they walk in there and people look like Jezebels. Young girls cutting their hair and wearing a little makeup on the side.
jewelry creeping in. Some of them a lot of jewelry creeping in. And big old slits in the skirts. And the girls don't look holy anymore. And the women don't look like godly mothers anymore. They look like women that are flirtatious and got a spirit about them enticing the world. And you walk in and if you're not careful it'll confuse you. Because they'll shout and they'll run the aisles and they'll talk in tongues and they'll dance around the front. And if you go by what you feel you're going to be deceived. If you go by just what you're looking at and say well this feels about like what we have at home. You're going to be deceived. I'll tell you what you better do. You better go by what you hear. If that man won't preach it and they won't live it, you've got living evidence that they're not what they ought to be in God. You better thank God for a preacher that not only does it feel good, but it sounds good when he preaches. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, if we just go by our feelings, we'll be a bunch of spiritual idiots around here. If we just go by what feels good, we'll never feel correction. We'll never feel chastisement. We'll never feel the hand of God. This Instead of what he heard. And there are churches after churches after churches that are doing exactly that. You know the difference between a river and a swamp? It may be the same amount of water. But that swamp has no banks and so it just runs everywhere. Water goes out, it breeds mosquitoes and alligators and everything else that can grow in a swamp. But a river's got banks on it, and it restricts the flow of that water, and it forces it into a channel. And you can take a super tanker full of heavy weight oil and float it down the middle of that river. And the only thing that's keeping it afloat is the banks on that thing. Let me tell you something, and you can mark it down. The reason the charismatics cannot be saved is not necessarily their message. It's not necessarily that they don't have truth. Alone, this would stand. They have no banks. They have no restriction. And so they have no power. Let me tell you something. Holy Ghost power comes when you get up and preach against jewelry. When you get up and preach against worldliness. When you preach against sin. And you come down the line on things that are right and things that are wrong and you preach against pool halls and you preach against movie houses and you preach against television and you preach against video and you preach against ungodliness I'm telling you the Holy Ghost has a channel to flow in Oh, the God. I'm going to go back there in a minute, but you remember my text? It said, we are going to stay with God, and our preachers are going to have sounding trumpets. You're going to know where our priesthood is. You won't have to worry if they're on the job or not. They'll be blowing that trumpet. And the day we decide that it's all, Brother Kuhn used the word the other day and was talking to me about it, when it's all conscience. When we reach the day that we say, well, they'll grow into it. Our spiritual power, any amount of Holy Ghost we have, will be just like a swamp. It'll flow out there and be worthless and good for nothing. The only way this thing's going to be pure, the only way this thing's going to be holy, the only way this thing's going to float anything is when you put some banks on it and you channel that Holy Ghost power and you keep those people living for God the way they're supposed to live for God. That Holy Ghost is going to flow. It'll float, friend. It'll carry it. It'll haul anything you need it to haul in the spiritual realm. But you're going to have to keep the banks on this thing. We go by our feelings, we'll be a bunch of spiritual idiots. I was laying in bed the other day and the phone rang and a guy called me. Seven years he went to United Pentecostal Church, the one I pastor. Not while I was there, but before I came. He came back for a few months after I came, but I was, I was more than he wanted. He got his little old free spirit and took off. Anyway, one of my boys working with him the other day and invited him out to our Spanish service. We have a Spanish service on Friday nights. And 
So he wouldn't come to the main church where I was. He slipped off over there. So after church, I saw him in the parking lot. And I said, uh, he said, oh, praise God. How you, how you know, you know, it's dripping off of him. A bunch of sickening stuff. I slipped to him. I said, how you doing? Walked on by. And his wife's there, hair cut off, makeup. I just looked at her and went on. Went on home. I caught my young guy the other day. That was on Friday night on Sunday morning. I caught him. I said, let me tell you something, Mario. I said, don't you ever invite that guy to our church again. I don't want him around. I don't want his spirit. I don't want anything he's got to offer. He looked at me. He said, oh, man, okay, brother. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, don't ever invite him again. So the next morning, my phone rings. ding a ling a ling a ling a ling and here's old Mr. Spiritual. He called me. He said, uh, I understand there was some misunderstanding. I said, no, there was no misunderstanding. He said, well, uh, I understand you didn't want me going out there. I said, that's exactly right. You know, sometimes preachers will try to play the nice guy, and they'll try to do it on one end, but they won't be up front with people. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They're afraid to stick their neck out. And uh, he said, uh, well, what's the deal? I said, well, the deal is you... you you're liable to say something to one of my people and you got a free spirit and you don't have a pastor and you want to run all over the country and I just don't need your kind around our place. He was thunderstruck. Nobody had ever talked to him like that. He was thunderstruck. He said, what do you mean? I said, I meant exactly what I said. I don't want you around our place. You just got a free spirit. Don't come back. Just take it and go anywhere you want to go. He said, oh, brother, you got me wrong. <laughs> he's calling me brother. I never called him brother, but he's calling me brother. By the time we got off the phone, he was not calling me brother. He said... I said, where are you going to church? He said, well, God has revealed to me that I need to go and help the Trinitarian brethren. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I go to church with them and I live the life in front of them and God has called me to do this. I said, you're a reprobate. God hadn't called you to do that. You don't know the voice of God from the voice of a donkey. Now, if you don't think I'd talk to him straight, I'm telling you, I read him the act. He was not a come and see Isaiah talked about he wasn't a tender new convert this is a seven year hardened veteran that knew what he was doing and wanted to justify himself and so I just treated him like what he was bread corn and walked all over the top of him and just let him know that we don't need your kind we don't want your kind I said you're wrong you're taking your family to hell God never called a man to fellowship Baal's temples he never called you to go to their churches he never called you to do that if you want to save them you witness to them and bring them into the truth and we'll do our best to love them and save them but you're going wrong if we go, you know what he said to me? He said, but when I go, I feel the Holy Ghost. And I gave him this very passage that I'm reading, just read to you. I said, anytime you go by what you feel, you're headed for spiritual trouble. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't feel a wrong spirit. But it means that the devil can manufacture it so close and he can make it look so good that you don't go by just what you feel, but you go by what you hear. This Bible said, faith cometh by Feeling? Uh-uh. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We've got to keep those sounding trumpets in our pulpits. We cannot have weak, anemic voices trying to proclaim to us the way of the Lord. It's got to be strong preaching. Please, God, by the foolishness of preaching, by the foolish, not foolish preaching, but the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I'm telling you, there's a place for a demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power. But more than that, there is a place for preaching in the pulpit when a man of God stands and begins to take a stand and form some banks on this thing and says, we're not going here. We're not doing this. You don't need to go home and say, why not? You need to say, thank God. I want Holy Ghost power in my church. Every time a new issue comes up among us, 
We go through these little areas and deals where people all get confused about them. Your preacher might just get in the pulpit and say, we're not doing it. Fine. When he does, don't go home and say, well, I wonder why. So they get to do it over here. They won't float as good a boat as you do. Because their river is going to be too shallow. They just keep widening them banks until pretty soon they're not going to have any power. You just keep your banks in nice and close and your water's going to flow rich and deep. And anything that needs to float in God's world, it'll just flow right on down that channel. Because you've got restrictions in your church. Loose churches, you'll be deceived if you don't somewhere learn that it's what I hear above what I feel. Let's go back to our text. And I'll begin to wind this thing to a conclusion. Second Chronicles chapter 13. When a man becomes his own priest. Saul did it, lost the kingdom. Uzziah did it and became a leper. Micah did it, lost not only his son but his soul and the whole thing. You'll never become your own priest. It is in the plan of God. By a prophet, he said in Hosea 10, 12, by a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. By a prophet was he preserved. And let me tell you something. You are never, you are never wrong with your pastor and right with God. I'm telling you. Say, well, what if that pastor gets messed up? You better keep a right spirit. God will take care of him. God will handle that. I promise you, God will be rougher on him than you could ever be. If I get messed up and I start sinning, my people don't need to worry about me. I promise you, God will take care of me. God's not going to take a precious flock of saints that loves God and true to his word in the ministry and allow them to suffer without costing that preacher somewhere. God will take care of that preacher. You just keep a right spirit, go right on living for God, loving God, and God will take care of it and vindicate it. But it's never right for you to rise up and say, bless God, I know how to handle this and we need to get this guy and send him on down the road. Never, never. You're not right with God and wrong with your preacher. In our text, he pleaded with them. He said, let me tell you guys something. You guys have messed up. Why don't we stand? You've been sitting a while. He pleaded with them. He said, you guys have really messed up. You've allowed Jeroboam to set up these golden calves. False revival, false churches. False ideas, wrong spirits. He said, you guys are wrong. And he said, and, and the worst thing you've done, as far as what I'm seeing in this scripture, he is saying, you know what else you've done? Whoever wanted to con consecrate himself with the bullock or seven rams, you've let him be a priest. He didn't have a call of God. He didn't have the heritage of the priesthood of Leviticus or the Levitical priesthood. He didn't have any of that. He just, he just wanted to be a priest. And so he said, fine, get your bullock and seven rams, buy your way into this thing. There's some men preaching the gospel that are not called of God. They just got a name that has bought them a ticket because their daddy had a name. So you say that because you don't have a son. If I had a son, I would not let him preach this gospel until I knew absolutely for sure that God called him to preach. My name would not buy him a card or an affiliation with any kind of fellowship. He said, you guys just let anybody in. If he's got the bullock and the rams, he can be your priest. But I like what they said. In verse 10, they said, But as for us, the Lord is our God. And we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron. We got God called preachers. <laughs> 
And I'm going to tell you today, I thank God for apostolic ministry. And I was telling my young men recently in our church, I said, I said, there are some things about churches that are hard to discern. But one thing you've got to look for, does the man have apostolic authority in the pulpit? Is he afraid that he's going to offend somebody? Or afraid that he's going to offend a church board member? Or is he afraid that if he says something, somebody's liable to get their feathers ruffled? When a man's got apostolic authority, he does not do it maliciously. He does not do it because he's just given that right. He does it in sincerity and in love and with concern. But when it comes time, friend, there is no equivocating in his heart. He knows it's time to correct. He knows it's time to straighten things out. And he stands in the pulpit and he just lets it rip. He just goes. This is where it's going to be around here. I'm not doing this because I like it. I'm not busting people's hides or skinning people because I think that's fun to do. I'm doing it because this church has got to be holy. This church has got to be righteous. We've got to meet the Lord. And there is a certain apostolic authority that goes with the pulpit. And you better thank God that your pastor's got it. You better thank God he's not a milk toast. Thank God he's not some wimp trying to preach to you the gospel. Thank God that he's got the courage to preach. Thank God he's got convictions. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As for us, I said as for us, we're going to stay with the Aaron's boys. We're going to stay with the preachers that have the bloodline. We're going to stay with the preachers that got the right stuff on the inside. Not just one that can buy himself an affiliation or a card, but one that has the priesthood in his veins and in his blood. They offer sacrifices every morning and evening. They burn incense unto God. They set in things in order on the table of God. They put the golden lamps on. They keep the charge of the Lord. Oh, let me tell you, that's who we're staying with. Recently I was troubled about some things. I'd been to meetings like this, and I'd seen what I wanted to see in my church. And sometimes they went to other meetings, and it wasn't promoted there. It wasn't the same. And I said, God, how do I bring my church to the place I want it to be? How do I get that certain something that you can't... I, I can't define it. I can't really put my finger on it. But I know I want to feel it. And I felt so strongly that what I need is old-time preachers. That doesn't necessarily mean old preachers, but it means old-time preachers. They're not interested in the modern things that are coming along. Technology does not impress them. It's prayer. It's worship. It's a strong voice from the pulpit. It's preaching the Word of the Lord. Let me tell you something. I'll tell you what's going to be beautiful. It's after all the initial things are over in heaven and we've got some time to mill around and talk to folks. You walk up to some old boy and say, When did you live? And he says, Oh, I lived during Sodom and Gomorrah. And you look at him and think, Thank God somebody was able to live clean in that age. Thank God in that era of, of lewdness and sin, somebody held on to God. And you talk to Noah and say, Noah, glad to meet you, boy. Everybody else couldn't handle it, but you made it. And I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, they're going to say, when did you live? And when you tell them, they're going to say, oh, thank God, you came through that age when it was popular for people to become their own priests and judge things on their own and not listen to a man of God, but you kept your integrity. You stayed in your place and you listened to a preacher and he brought you all the way to glory. 
Give me just a few more moments and I'll, I'll close. But do you know what the Bible tells us? In the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It tells us that God is going to chastise us. You're going to be rebuked of God. Scripture. He said, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God be with you as sons. For what son is he whom his father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, where of all are protectors, then you're bastards and not sons. I don't care how good a saint you are. And you all look good to me today. I don't know one familiar. I don't know who's fighting with the husband. I don't know who's not getting along. I don't know who's not paying the tithes. I, I don't know about you guys. You just look good to me today. But you can mark this down. God will whip you. I don't care how good you are. Say, well, I'm doing everything right. Okay. Then he'll purge you so you can bring forth more fruit, according to John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Every branch of bringing forth fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. It don't make any difference who you are, what you are. You, your day is coming. And many times it comes through these men right here. He pulls you in a corner and he just works your motor over and he tells you exactly what you've been doing wrong. And there's a lot of ways that we look at people. There's a lot of things that we judge people by. You hear me? We look at them as they shout and run the aisles and we think, man, they're spiritual. Woo! We see them in the prayer room and we say, man, they're spiritual. Man. But I don't care if you remember a whole lot of what I say today, but I do hope you remember this statement. The acid test of spiritual maturity is attitudes. When he sets you down and says, this is what you're going to do. When you smile and say, thank you, Pastor. Thank you for talking to me. I'm going to go home and do it. The acid test of spiritual maturity is not running and jumping and leaping and rolling, although that's important. It's not praying, although we believe in praying. But if you want to know when you finally reach the place when you can begin to handle spiritual things, it's when you come to the revelation that I have a priest in my life that I've got to have somebody help me make it to heaven. Spiritual maturity. Acid test is attitudes. My brother-in-law pastors in Lethbridge. I want to tell you this little story and quit. Prevailing sin of our generation is people are becoming their own priests. This man felt led of God to go on a long fast. He had come from Romania, immigrated to Canada. He just felt like God talked to him to go on a 40-day fast and had been for some time. Of course, his pastor was very concerned. That's a long time and you certainly couldn't hurt your health. You don't just encourage people to do that frivolously. But he went on this 40-day fast. That's my brother and I said, I said, man, I call him Melvin, his family. I said, Melvin, what did the guy look like? He told me, he said, he looked like he came out of a concentration camp. He was gaunt, hollow-eyed. I said, he went a full 40 days. No, he said, I'm talking about real fasting. 40 days on water. That's it. He said, he looked like he came out of a concentration camp. When he got through, came to church one night. He said to his pastor, he said, can I talk to you downstairs? Brother Lazenby said, yeah. And this came from, my brother told me this himself. I didn't hear this from somebody. I asked him myself. 
He said we walked down the stairs and he stood there a few minutes, act kind of embarrassed. And finally the man looked at him and said, was out of character with the guy, but he looked at him and he said, can I pray for you, Pastor? And he caught him off guard. He, he said, I really didn't know what to say, but God been on 40 day fast. I thought, well, okay. He said, okay. The man laid his hand on his pastor's shoulder, closed his eyes, and he began to pray. He said, God, would you let every benefit from this 40-day fast go to my pastor? I don't want one thing from it, God. I want him to preach to us. I want him to be a God-called preacher. And if anything good comes out of this, let it come to my pastor. Had been in that little old home missions work for several years. Couldn't get a break. Couldn't get it to happen. He decided to have three night meeting with the brother Lazenby, the pastor preaching, just like he hired an evangelist. They went into that meeting. He began to preach. The first night, he baptized a brand new person. Now that may not sound like much to you, but when you only got about twenty people, it's it's a different story first night they baptized one they came back the second night they baptized five brand new people and two received the Holy Ghost Brother Lazy said I was walking down the aisle and a woman had visited our church and told me said I will never get baptized in Jesus name never and he said I just smiled at her and pointed at her like you're next didn't say a word to her just pointed like that said she reached over and started unbuckling her shoes and walked over and stepped into baptistry and when he baptized her she came out of the water speaking in tongues received the baptism of the Holy Ghost I'm telling you there's a spirit that needs to get a hold of us that God has given me a preacher I want to be a member of his congregation I want him to be the man that helps me with my problems there's a spirit reflected in the book of Acts chapter 4 that the Bible said they sold their houses and lands and they brought it and laid it at the feet of the ministry and gave it all. I've never preached that you have to sell your houses to be saved. I don't want my people to liquidate everything they've got and give me the money. That's not my point today. But there is a spirit of giving it all to the preacher and saying, whatever you tell me, I'm going to live it. Whatever you preach across that pulpit, you're looking at one saint that I'm big enough to do it. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God in an era when everybody else don't want to listen to the preacher. I'm going to listen to my pastor and the prevailing sin of my generation will never get me because I'm listening to my preacher would you lift your hands and ask God to help you
There's not anything I could add to this that he said. And it's for sure. I wouldn't want to take anything away from it. But there's a question I want to ask. And I want you to ask yourself, and I want you to give yourself an honest answer. Do you intend to be saved? I repeat it again. Do you intend to be saved? There was a church in the times of the Apostle Paul at Corinth. There was problems. And he wrote a letter to them. He spent the first part of the letter getting ready to tell them what he needed to tell them. And it seemed as though, according to the letter, that there was some sin there that was not even named among the Gentiles. He said, put that wicked one from among you. And the purpose of putting the wicked one from among you was so the spirit could be saved. Now, you listen to what I'm going to say. There's a lot of people today wondering why it is they don't go to church and feel that unexplainable sensitivity of God that is in some places and some places not. That sensitivity that can only be detected by God-fearing, Holy Ghost-filled, holy living saints of God. It's because the Spirit has been lost. And the flesh is being saved. But when we do it God's way, 
We don't have flesh, mind, feeling, intellect, man's wisdom. Promiscuity, cover it up here, cover it up there. That's saving the flesh. But if you want to save the spirit, if you want that added extra closeness an anointing of God that you feel when you walk into the place. It's just there, regardless of the words and the mannerism and what have you, but it's just there. Then it's time to do it God's way. Listen to the man of God. Let the man of God have a free hand. Like God told Isaiah, he said, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and Israel their sin. When we try to save the flesh, sin is not mentioned. But if you want to save the spirit, you put that wicked from you. And the only way you can do it. You see, it's flesh, it's flesh that rises up and says, well, I know just about as much about it as he does. I've had some experience in this. God's not interested in your experience. For he's such a young man. Here he is, a young man, just, he only had the Holy Ghost about five years, and here I have been in church for 30 years, and you got more wisdom Honey, it's time something's done for the destruction of that flesh, that the Spirit might be saved. It is I that have talked to you today. I have brought to your attention those things that I want you to be mindful of. If you will listen unto me and hearken unto me, though those around you and the things that are prevailing in this day seem to be the right 
and it seems to be to the man and to the flesh to be that that ought to be done regardless of all the multitude if you will listen unto me and hearken unto my spirit and walk with me you'll be my child and I'll be your God for I am the Lord I am the one that called you out of sin I am the one that brought you and nurtured you I am the one that has helped you to be where you are today and brought you out of the miry clay if you will hearken unto me I and I alone will be your God I will direct your paths you can walk in those ways that only the righteous can walk in I am your God listen unto my men listen unto my ministry listen unto those that have sinned unto you for I am the Lord your God Ooh. 